Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Sinead, have you done any writing? I might be embarrassed uh, to ask that. Um, I not, should know. Not recently. Uh, well, not not this year, basically. Um, I've been in, I've been meaning to. I got a new job a few months ago, which is pretty much taking up all my spare time. Um, I will write something soon. I promise. <laughs> it might be good to have a job. Yeah, definitely. Um, hopefully, I can get keep mine as well. But um, the the writing thing that you you've just mentioned in there, I did see. I was just reading an article about you and your sister. Um, oh God, yeah, the Daily Mail article. Uh, no, no, it was it wasn't a Daily Mail one actually. It was um, it might have been quoted from the Daily Mail, but it wasn't hosted there. But it was uh, like sort of a letter to your sister sort of thing. Was that um, the one that Transgender Trend published? Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, when the Daily Mail had reached out, it was because they'd read that one. Right. And I was like, well, all the information is already there. And they're like, actually, we're more interested in talking to your sister. I was like, fuck you then. <laughs> <laughs> did they go and end up talking to your sister? Or did they... Yeah, yeah. Like they spoke yeah, they to her. There was, there was a Daily Mail article published not long ago where they frame it as if they spoke to both of us equally. They spoke to me a little bit. It was my sister's article, which I'm fine with. She's she's more than welcome to call me a dickhead in a national paper. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. <laughs> so are you like, are you, that didn't cause any friction between you and your sister? No, no. I mean, like, uh, when I contacted her and I was like, um, there's someone who wants to talk to you about how you feel. And right. she was like, you know, I thought you were a fucking arsehole when you were Sean. I was like, I'm fully aware of that yes and she was like right, okay <laughs> so oh awesome yeah we have that part. type of relationship that's why it works that's good that's really healthy i think as well you should be able to like be openly critical with your siblings and your family as well 100 yeah like agree. you know yourself like when you detransition your family and friends start sort of opening up a little bit more, you know, about how that rubbed me the wrong way, that pissed me off, and they didn't have the balls to tell you when you were trans, so you're like, oh. Well, so far, some of my family, I still haven't seen them, and I'm not expecting to fully reconnect with them, and if I do, I do, and if I don't, I don't. It's not the reason I detransitioned, and, you know, some people like to think that that's part of the motivation and all this transphobia, but I I wasn't getting any harassment of anyone and the family stuff had died down for years so that was just faded in the background um but for me i certainly feel like when you do transition your family do go god yeah you were a little bit of a a little bit insane but i think the reason they don't call you out on your bullshit is because they kind of want to keep you close as well and they know that whatever you say will just entrench them further and further away. So mm-hmm. I've got absolutely, you know, and in all fairness, um, members of my family did try and tell us. It's not as if I wasn't, they were just going, ah, oh, yeah, go on, get on with it. They were like, are you sure that like, you want to do this sort of thing? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you yeah, react to that, though? Because, like, I know you're you're substantially younger than me. So it would no, be... No, no, I'm not. I'm older than you. Shut up. And how old are you again? 31. 
Yeah, I'm 35 now, two weeks. You have aged Babies. beautifully, <laughs> Richie. Thank you, thank you. Um, that's probably down to the fact I haven't had any testosterone in nearly a decade. Um, yeah. Almost my adult life as well. So, um, and you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, you look, you look dead young, that's great. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool and everything, but I am a 35, nearly 35-year-old man, and I don't get trapped like it in society. I get trapped like a young lad and I could get like if when I get my hair dead short I just look like a bull dyke in a way um and I shouldn't yeah. say that whatever um so yes um I am actually older than you I'm probably as old as Benjamin <laughs> uh, I got a decade on you fella <laughs> how did your family react like well not their family actually how did you react when some of them were like pushing back a little bit to the trans stuff were you quite aggressive well my brother just basically called us up and said don't contact me um if you're going to go down with this um want nothing to do with you whatsoever if you're going to do it and i was like fair enough the last words he said was is you're better off dead and i was like fine and that kind of you know, that pushed us further and further away. Um, and I think he was panicking because he didn't know how to deal with it. You know, this is somebody who was an ex-paratrooper. He doesn't, you know, mm. he's not, yeah. <laughs> I, I respect them, but I'll, mm. if he ever wants to say his piece, he can. Um, my mother was very distraught, naturally, because before that was I had a few other mental breakdowns where I was claiming all sorts of different things. And... Uh, she was just worried I was just going off on the deep end. So her first words to me was, are you sure you're not just gay? And I was like, no, no, no. This is totally different from that. Um, and me dad, he, when, I, when I talked to him, he was just like, he didn't know how to react. He, This is somebody who was a minor as well. Um, so a very masculine sort of family. And uh, he he didn't know how to react and he was just like i don't understand it i i, I don't know what you're asking are you asking for me permission and i was like no well i kind of was really in a way anyone because you don't have it and i was like good and then that sort of like um severed the the relationship um, and we've barely seen each other in the last decade but that was also down to me um maybe seen him twice um we're in contact but it's very very you know very limited contact but um that's kind of just how it is my family anyway everyone's kind of in contact but limited i was gonna ask how did they react when you told if you've told them that you're detransitioning yeah i've told them i i don't know what the reaction my dad just my dad's epic in the sense that you could send him a hundred line text and he would respond with okay yeah. like you know what I mean? So he's a minor, so yeah. <laughs> my sister gets really upset with this all the time because she's a, I've got an older sister, and she's like, she'll send him this this big long update about our kids and all this sort of thing, and he'll just be like, "Good, oh, okay, see you soon." You know what I mean? It's like there's it, it's not because he had like this big huge entrenchment. It's just it's just the way he is. He's just a you know, um, again. No disrespect. Um, That's one of those things, isn't it? Because like my my, my father is a steel fixer, 
And I think like when you transition and or detransition from a working class background with like these worky people, you know, mm. very different stories from like these middle class people where it's like, yeah. oh, yes, you know, gender and fluff and all the rest of it. Whereas trying to explain to like a poor, like world weary working class family that you're transitioning is it blows their fucking minds, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, yes, yes. It literally like, what are you talking about? Away and get a job, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just like, well, you're clearly not well. Um, and they don't know how to handle it. Why would they know how to handle it? Why would anyone know how to handle it? I'm coming at them with, I'm 100% certain, here's what I'm doing. And, you know, whoosh, it was just dead. It, well, it was pure obsessive ways of thinking wasn't it it was like a, a crazy obsession did you tulip when you were growing up how did your family respond to your femininity and your homosexuality did that kind of lay the groundwork for um um my brother i used to randomly go up to us and go like right up in my face and go you're so fucking gay you and i'd be like okay <laughs> I don't know if you laugh, but it's like the typical sort of thing that you do. And, um, you know, I just, I, I kind of got mocked a little bit, but it wasn't like direct to me. There was a lot of sort of outward commentary on gay people in the world. And I knew just from like, I think it was quite common for anyone in the country, whether or not you went to Scotland or the Northeast or in London, it was the 90s and 2000s were still particularly quite homophobic. And it was, um, you know, I've got memories of being on holiday and, you know, having, like, the seeing a gay person in front of when that being mocked and stuff. And um, But it wasn't like there were everyday, like, gay bashing or nothing like that. It was just if the conversation came up, and like, Pff. But um, my dad, in a, like affectionately he would say he wasn't doing it aggressively or shouting at us he'd be like hello like you're, you're right soft boy or how are you big puff or something like that you know and it's like a very minor sort of northeastern sort of thing but um i i, I can't remember if i recounted this story last time but you know there were significant things about like they would take us to football practice when i was like 10 or 11 and i'd be there'll be shouting at us because in the game I'm in defence sat on the floor picking grass and making a necklace out of daisies and stuff <laughs> like that and it was just like you know all these things I wanted to be a ballerina when I was seven or an eight and all this sort of thing and you know I think they just kind of panicked because this again this is in the time of section 28 where um, you know and this is just after the 80s and the whole AIDS thing and it was very much on their mind and I think they were they had that like residual fear from it as well. You don't want your kids to be gay, not because being gay is an unpreferable lifestyle, but because the there was still that echo of AIDS and stuff like that. And I think that fueled a lot of the homophobia as well, especially, especially parents' fears as well. You're quiet. <laughs> Means you have to continue with more uncomfortable details, you look. Oh, <laughs> I mean, what else? What else well, to the, say? The conversation uh, with regard to detrans males does have to do with uh, 
I think that most men who transition, especially young, probably have some sort of component of femininity. Already, uh, there's you know the, the middle age man, the AGP, classical AGP, is kind of an odd, kind of uh, very masculine guy transitioning. There's something else there. But um, one line of questioning about the detrans males, or at least putting information out there for detrans males who are males who want to detransition, uh, is to kind of understand how society informs or anti uh, our societies or different classes of societies disparagement of uh, the feminine male or what can a male do to be feminine and and how do we uh, how do we accept that I guess I don't know if acceptance is the right term but uh, I think the root in is going to be working with uh, men's and women's charities generally and anti-homophobia charities and charities that should be doing the job that Stonewall was supposed to be doing. What would these charities be doing? Um, so educating on um, being, making homophobia, um, making people aware of what actual homophobia is, what contextual homophobia is in a modern context, not in a sort of an old school hate on gay people but you know how does that work institutionally how does that work culturally when you get somebody who exhibits um so you get a young boy who's exhibiting very feminine characteristics and all the friends of girls their instinct now is to transfer shit out of that kid when realistically that is quite possibly a gay kid or um they might actually not turn out gay they might turn out bi they might turn out totally straight but the point is with medicalized and self-discovery completely and it's like we're not giving them a chance we are dictating to them um what they should be based on the fact that they've displayed feminine traits god forbid if you're a tomboy now what the hell you know um, and you made a really good point there as well where you were like maybe it's a feminine boy because all of his friends are girls you know mm-hmm. that might not even necessarily mean that the boy is going to grow up to be gay it might just mean that he's doing what kids do which is imitating the peers that are around them and if this young boy happens to have a majority like little girl friends and they're playing with dolls and all the rest of it and combing their hair he might want to do that not because it's his innate gender identity but because he sees the other kids doing it because you know very young kids don't think in terms of the boys and the girls they just see playmates people they want to play with and so yeah. if you've got a little boy who's playing with dolls Maybe the first thing you should ask isn't, oh, my God, get him on blockers, he's trans. Maybe it should be, maybe his friends are playing with dolls. And maybe that's why he likes them. Let's also talk about stuff like dolls and play. So doll play is all about care roles. And if you've got, like, a kid that might want to show their care in nature in a way that they might be getting discouraged from in other ways, the best way to do that is through play. And one of the best ways to do that is through with say a baby doll and they might want to be they might want to um express themselves in a way that they can't actually do in other forms and also let's say that there's something to be said for shiny stuff um a sucker for shiny stuff <laughs> so if it if it's like silver or, or if it's a bit pink or vibrant it's like it draws me attention in and young kids aren't sexualizing these things they're just drawn in they're like 
oh my god it's shiny oh my god it's pink and that looks cool whereas all the boys toys are like this gillette mac 3 sort of color scheme you know mm-hmm. from like the razor adverts and stuff um and i think that is also quite an appealing thing and also equally for girls who might get a bit saturated by all the pinkness and they see this cool boy's toy or this gun-looking thing or this machine that turns into a robot that turns into a car. And it's like, that is a cool thing. And it allows you to express yourself in different ways, like the whole playing with cars and playing with, like, Lego or whatever or anything. That building is about creation and destruction, whereas playing with dolls is a lot about social play as well. So backing away just briefly from the child transition to somebody, uh, you know, an adult or young adult deciding to transition, it's an interesting question. I don't think I've explored too much about the aesthetic appeal of transitioning, like almost like an artistic um, draw to undertake this project. Did either of you have that kind of like that component working into your desire to transition or just like the aesthetic Um, you mean like um, because for me before I even began transition I had this sort of idealized male version of myself in my head Um, you know and it wasn't like a supermodel because I knew I was never going to achieve that but it was still a very particular look that I was going for but that required testosterone the double mastectomy yada 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 and so you know as much as I would say to myself oh it's because of gender dysphoria and distress and all the rest of it it still was chasing an ideal image in my head that I wanted to put out to the world and I I simply wouldn't have been able to do it without the medical well I probably would have you know put pubes on your chin and stuff like that whatever but you know in that state where you're in you have this is what I want to look like this is what I look like currently in order to move from here to here, I'm going to have to medically transition. That would be the, the my version of that. But I think for um, trans women and de-trans men, it would probably be very different. I would say it's very much the same flavour of you've got that image in your head. And I think for me, it was like my whole self-image was built on this person that was to be rather than like for instance, and in, in 2011, 12, I was quite, I was still quite overweight. I was still in the process of losing a lot of weight, and I could never see myself as like a fit dude. It was always a shapely woman, or you know what I mean. Like in my head, it was like the ideal sort of hourglass figure, and mm-hmm. you know the the hair and whatever. And um, for me, it was like remodeling myself on this new thing that could be assisted, as you said, by the medical aspect. It's like, oh, I could, as Lewis way, I could get top surgery, bottom surgery, I could get FFS, I could get Botox, I could get, you know, a a USB slot fitted in somewhere, I'm sure, Uh, free Wi-Fi, who knows. But there's never an end because you can always model yourself and shape yourself. And now you're seeing surgeries where the, the, the shrink in the collarbone to make you even like slimmer and uh, well not hmm. well you know what I mean and uh, yeah. extending legs and all sorts of craziness and it's like there, there's never going to be an end because there's also a better idealized version of yourself and that was very much like it was for me sort of as you were saying creating that artistic version of yourself it was always well 
there's all these stages I can do and there's the next thing, there's the next surgery, there's the next thing after. And I don't know how the hell I was thinking I was going to fund any of this. <laughs> um, but there is, there, is there an aspect of uh, control? Like, like you get to control what you are uh, via the medical um, medicalization or fulfill who you are? I'm just wondering what's behind that Sinead's look and, and, and Tulip, your, your ideal? What, what, what's kind of like the content of that ideal and what kind of power relationship do you have to your body and to society through creating yourself into the image that you want? Um, for me, I don't know if I'd give it that much existential thought because I think it is very much a, a backseat chair question. I think realistically... I was in a deeply distressed state. I had a lot of other things going on and I found this free pass for all my problems that were internalized to be externalized. So when I'm out and about, the reason I'm anxious is no longer because I've got severe anxiety and I need to work on it. I'm anxious because the world's transphobic. Um, you know, and it was like the reason why I've been so depressed all my life isn't because of all these complex comorbid issues that have sprung up with you know the trials and tribulations of life that everyone goes through but it's actually because i'm trans and you know again it's because of the bigots isn't it and everything became from an internal this is my trauma this is my sort of problems to this is actually because of society and actually it's not me that's wrong it's everything and everyone else that's wrong so all i need to do is follow my own path and if anyone sort of um, tries to question me or discredit me, it is literally because they are part of this whole bigoted problem, you know? <laughs> Can I like, because um, I've spoken to far more D-trans women than I have D-trans men, so I could like interrogate you for hours, I won't. But one question that I would have is that when we were talking about chasing that ideal image, with um for myself like the image i chase i cho i was chasing for example wasn't bald and so when i started losing hair on testosterone i was like oh that's through a wrench into my plans did you have an equivalent with that when you were going through medical transition transitioning and you're like oh my body's actually doing something and going in the opposite direction of the ideal i'm chasing yeah definitely i would say that was with the sort of the chest development, which was always very, I've always had, um, and I cannot always butcher the word, but gynomastia. Yeah, you know, that's the one. Yeah, I never <laughs> say it though, but never mind. Thank you, Sinead. Um, <laughs> and I was always, I've always had this throughout my life, so I've always been used to it. And all that hormones really did for that is kind of, it made it a little bit more circular, but it was still... It, it still looked like a move to me. It didn't look like um, a breast. And that totally was like, oh, my God, I'm going to need to get breast augmentation. I don't want to get breast augmentation um, because of small surgery. I just want to home grow, as it were. Mm -hmm. And then I started looking at breast augmentation in about the first time really, like, really looking at it was after I had genital surgery because the surgeries again it's just like what's the next thing what's an, i'm not happy at this minute what oh it's because i haven't had this one i need to get that and i was also looking at get facial feminization surgery and stuff like that which 
Um, I know people, the trans people who have had it, and it's like, glad I didn't. But um, with the sort of the top surgery thing, uh, the more I looked into it, the more problems I started coming up with. Like people seem to get a lot of adverse reactions to implants. I never knew that. You've got to get it replaced every 10 years. You've, well, supposedly, um, there are quite a few risks of um, it being rejected and this sort of thing. And I was like, I'm not putting myself through that. I'd rather just boost up my own hormone levels. So when it wasn't working and it wasn't working for a long time, I was getting more and more distressed. And I was going to the doctors, give me more, give me more, give me more. It's not working. I need more. And, you know, and it was like they would, you know, they're, they're also kind of like how, do you remember how I said how my parents were a bit like, we don't know what's happening here. Okay. They had a very similar reaction. It was like, they've got very few guidelines. They had the gender clinic to come on and they've just got me coming at them going, I'm really distressed. I need more estrogen and I need, you know, I need all this sort of thing. I need to grow my own chest and all this sort of thing. And I need you to, to boost it. I need you to do me bloods and all this sort of, you know, and, um, and they did and increased it um, to just because I was distressed and demanded it rather than saying, well, actually. Well, do, do you think that perhaps they were kind of backed into a corner because they affirmed yeah. you from the start? Absolutely. So there's no way for them to stop affirming you because they already assumed that this is um, their their position is to affirm or... I think, no, me, me GPs, I don't actually have a problem with my sort of doctors because they're carrying out instruction. They don't have the authority. Well, the actual, GPs actually do have the authority, but they don't have enough evidence base. They don't have enough um, guidance to fall back on. In fact, when I had a full breakdown in my doctor's office a few months ago, she literally shrugged and went, we literally don't have any guidance on this. There's nothing. And I knew they were just as powerless as me. And they are very much, they're doing what they're told. And they're, they're kind of like, you can kind of see there's a hesitation in them, but there's a reluctance to commit either way. And they're just kind of, again, doing what they're told. So my actual doctor, I don't think is the problem in my case. It was more certainly the gender services and that industry that was very much reluctant to um, attribute what I was experiencing to these comorbid issues. What if what's your gender clinic said about your detransition? I haven't I haven't talked to them um, officially. I'm I'm waiting to file a very formal uh, complaint letter, um, which will be drafted not by me, by but by somebody I'll be hiring. I can't say any more than that. Um, so they will be getting that notice very shortly. Uh, what I wanted to do was get all my records from them first. Mm -hmm. So I've got my records from the doctor, which isn't a problem, but in the UK you do what's called a subject access request. Um, and they've got a certain time to get that information back to you, which is all the information they held. Um, and I'm in the process of getting one. And what I didn't want to do was not that they would do a Watergate and try and burn everything or, you know what I mean, and try and tamper with stuff, but... Conveniently lose it somewhere. Yeah, I don't want... I, I wanted to have that before they were aware of it. So um, I think cat's out the bag now, possibly, because my doctor... Because I was very distressed in 
March, especially, especially I was like really, really like, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know what, what I want to do sort of thing. And she was like, oh, we'll just refer you back to the gender clinic. And I was like, no, don't send us back there. Do you want to go? And we're like, we'll kind of have to, that's in the guidance. And I was like, I'd rather you didn't. Um, and they were like, well, okay, we'll see what options we can explore. And they have been rather helpful. That is one of like the biggest problems that I've seen from all the, like my set, I got that as well. And a lot of the other D-trans people that I've spoken to when they went to their GPs, the immediate reaction was, you need to go back to the gender clinic. Yeah, We are, we are not trained for this. We don't know what to tell you. You need to go back to the clinic. And it's like, why would I go back to the clinic that allowed this to happen? Are you <laughs> fucking mind? Like, because yeah. like, I think that you're doing the right thing, um, everything you've just described and you're being very careful about it, which I wish I was. I wasn't, you know, I, I contacted the Sandyford in Glasgow and I was like, change my file to show that I've detransitioned. And they were like, cool, we've done that. But I haven't asked to see my files. And I have a sneaking suspicion that if I were to, they'd be like, they've been lost somewhere. Because yeah. they did, they reached out to me, they called me um, after they found out that an article was going to be released that I was telling, speaking about what they'd done, how easy it was. And so they, 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 they phoned me and then they emailed me and they were like, oh, we're very happy to talk to you and you can tell us what went wrong and we can have a discussion and we can see if we can make things better. And I was like, you know, the, the article is still going out, right? You know, I'm happy to talk to you but the article is still going out. And then it went out and I haven't heard fuck all from them. Nothing, not a phone call, not an email, nothing. I would recommend putting in a subject access request yourself and the all the disclosures for like your medical records are held. I've, I've got by... all my GP files. I just don't yeah. have them in the Sandyford, which are the more important ones, I would say. Yeah, that was and they're separate. Yeah completely separate from your, your normal ones because they're gender sensitive. I don't know if it yeah. would work. <laughs> <laughs> Is that oh, a no, thing? Is that a technical term? Gender sensitive? Yeah, on the, I don't know if you've got that in your letters, but on the top, it just says in bold letters, gender sensitive. Okay. Yeah, like whenever it's a letter that you don't want to open up in an inconvenient place with inconvenient people, it says gender sensitive, so you know to open it privately. <laughs> That's so weird. Protecting your feelings by mail, it's great, you know. Sinead, uh, when, so there's the detransition, and then there's the speaking about the detransition. What prompted you to speak, uh, to be, to make it public? And what was the field like um, in the discourse when you were making that decision? Well, I kind of threw myself ahead first because I had no idea that this was where I would be. You know, I think we, we first spoke... In early 2020, didn't we? It was like March or April or something like that. Um, and I'd I'd begun detransition just like months before that in October of 2019. So I thought, oh, speak to this YouTuber guy and a couple of other people and then nothing will happen. And that's not what happened. Before I knew it, I had, you know, GPs and therapists and solicitors and other detransitioners and trans people reaching out to me. And I've obviously, you know, attended speaking events now I did not have a clue that would happen and so um, I think I'm, I can't remember if it was you Benjamin that I told this to but the first speaking event that I attended I didn't know I was speaking at it um, you know so I was I was invited to an event in Edinburgh and they're like you know come through and listen to the speakers 
And then I arrived, and as I was at the bar ordering a beer, like a good friend of mine, he, he wasn't being like a dick about it. He was like, he just came up to me and was like, they're going to ask you to speak. And I was like, what? <laughs> he was like, they're going to ask you to speak. And I was like, right, hold on. Five beers. And then, <laughs> and I spoke, you know, and it, it when it wasn't as intimidating as I thought it would be. It was actually kind of cathartic because... In my mind, like public speaking was you need to be very professional, you need to watch your language, you have to have all these stats. But for me, it was like I got in front of about, there's about 250 people there. The most people I'd ever spoken to in front of was at university when you do presentations and seminar in front of like 10 people. Um, so I got up and I just started speaking and telling them, you know, why I transitioned, why I detransitioned. It wasn't scripted. It wasn't prepared. It was completely off off the cuff. And afterwards, I had so many parents coming up to me saying, this is what my daughter's going through. Can I speak to you? Can you speak to my daughter? Can I ask you this? Can I ask you that? And from there, I went from being this tiny little nobody on Twitter to someone that people were reaching out to saying, can you advise me on this? So it wasn't planned at all. And I wasn't really prepared for it. But now, like, it's gotten to the point where if someone says, can you come and speak at this event? I'll say, what's it for? Is it to, is it to speak about the fact that we need more care for detrans people? I'll come and speak at that. Or is it to come and say that transition is evil and trans people are all perverts? I won't speak at that. So it, it really depends on what the motive of the invitation is. And uh, with that in mind, how... what? How how have you seen the um, D-Trans discourse develop? And because it, it seems like there's kind of a change a little bit because the D-Trans males such as Tulip and Lapita and Robin, um, you guys are all kind of coming out at the same time. And I'm wondering what, what was going on before that that allowed for the males to kind of join the conversation. I know there's like slash r slash D-Trans, which is a, a subreddit. Um, so I'm wondering uh, if you could like set the well, stage. I, I would actually like to detract something that I said not too long ago. Um, so last year, um, I was in a conversation with um, it was the it was the D trans webinar, um, and I think I'd mentioned at some point, you know, D trans people can come together and we can all support one another. That was quite wishy washy. I think it's far more complicated than that. And I think with more D transitioners coming out, specifically D trans men we are starting to see conflict and it's primarily between the fact that you can have D-trans women and D-trans men and you can say we can come together and support one another as D-transitioners. There is too much hostility between men and women in this realm because transition and detransition is a sexed issue in many cases. And I think like Richie would, would know more, a lot more about this than I do, but there are a number I don't know the number, and I'm not going to guess in case I get it too wrong, but there are a number of D-trans women who become radical feminists. And then there are a number of those radical feminist D-trans women who are very hostile towards D-trans men. And that's where the, the horns lock. But I, I, uh, you, if you've experienced that, you would be the authority to speak on that there. Yeah, I mean, um, for me, so... Because I'm gay and 
it, that adds a totally different aspect to it. Like in in the, my sort of stories, so I'm nowhere near as attacked as the likes of Salem Peter, who's straight. And if you've seen them Peter's posts, the way he delivers himself is it may seem like he's just firing all cylinders, but he knows what he's doing and he's doing it to prove a point. Um, and the point is well proved, shall we say. Um, but to go back on it, I think someone like me has a much better standing with these feminists because I'm no, no threat. I'm Paul Stop. My weapon has been taken away, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And um, with a straight person or more specifically somebody who not Limpida specifically, but somebody who may be described as AG, AGP, um, they are the ones who are the target of this threat role because they're the ones who get um, assumed to be some sort of extremely perverted invasive individual. And that's where the, the conflict's coming in mainly. Now, for me, I think that's why that's why I kind of have a a much easier time at having these conversations because they're not seeing me as um, an antagonizer. They're seeing me as somebody perhaps more in the middle or maybe even on their side, even though I've got no sides because I don't believe in sides. Um, there's just the side of your point at the time. That's it. There's no, there are no camps, there are no sides, there are no tribes. It's just, will they prove me right or not at the time? Mm-hmm. Sorry, Benjamin, you're making me I need to interrupt face. No, uh, well, yeah, I'm sorry. Thank you. You're getting good at reading me. Um, maybe I'm pretty obvious to read. Um, I'm just trying to figure out the uh, the reasons, because Blanchard kind of laid down several decades ago that there's the homosexual, transsexuals, and then the autogynophiles, and the motivations or the relationship between the homosexual and the feminine or the female that interacts with the that facilitates the transition is a different motivation than the autogynophile um, realizing the ideal of femininity and then in Limpita's case I don't even think it, it, it he's a, he's on another vector of just having a completely different relationship with the female and the feminine and how that informed his transition is yeah. much different yeah, he had um, he had a lot of trauma, and it's not my place to speak for yeah. for what happened to him. But it's and, and I'm sure on the other end that there's a lot of uh, trauma involved in female to male uh, transitioners. And yeah, the, that that's what I would back. like to put in there. Like the the main source of this conflict when it comes to and I hate using the term, but for brevity, I will the D trans community is that there are so many D trans women that the source of their transition was trauma at the hands of men and for i don't know the number so let's say some number of d trans men their transition was because of abuse or trauma at the hands of women and so you're talking about you've got a group of people coming together with a lot of baggage and it's it's going to get messy you know for for limpida i'm not very familiar with him we've spoken very briefly and we've argued about abortion and stuff like that on twitter i don't know his whole story or anything like that but I will say, as as the lady in the room, um, my feelings towards AGP are complicated. You know, I can be sympathetic, I can try to understand, but I will be completely honest with the pair of you, autogynophilia as a concept in a man makes me highly uncomfortable. I don't 
like the idea of a man becoming sexually aroused at the thought of being a woman and the shit we have to go through as women and then transitioning because of that when on the other side of that seesaw I transitioned it wasn't the only reason but a big part of it was how I was treated as a woman so you know you've got the the, the D-trans women on this side not all of them it's more complicated than that, but a substantial number of them transitioned because of sexual abuse, sexualization, objectification, as well as a whole bunch of other stuff like eating disorders and all the rest of it. You know, their bodies being judged and viewed and treated a certain way. And then you look on the other side and for, you know, your typical autogynophile. So let's say a middle-aged man, uh, he's married, he's got children. This has been something he's been living with for a long time. He comes out as trans. Um, maybe he's been wearing his wife's lingerie or whatever. And then he decides to come out as trans and live this life because he gets sexual gratification from imagining himself as a woman. I'm sorry, that is fucked up to me. And I struggle, I try, but I struggle to have sympathy in that regard. And that's me just being as honest with the pair of you as I can. Okay, I appreciate your honesty. And I'll come back and say that the the way people deal with a lot of internalized issues trauma is very different between the sexes it's a sex-based difference absolutely so i think like the the problem is is it's viewed straight away as this middle-aged man who's invading his wife's wardrobe and masturbating in the claws and doing all these unsavory things um that is the sort of the easy to get angry at picture for invading the space. And that picture gets blanketed across all. So rather than addressing the core issues of why are, why are we so adverse to male sexuality in various different um, presentations? And the, what, what I'm saying by that is if we were doing the same sort of approach to say, D-trans males who get obsessed with fan fiction, which is deeply sexualized, and it's that same aspect of sexual targets and stuff like that, which also robs other um, trans men into it too, or budding trans men. And mm-hmm. it's like, if we were to make the observation that that was mm-hmm. extremely dangerous, and I know it's totally different because they're doing targeted, but it, obviously it can be, then there would be an outcry that, well, why you're trying to please women's sexualities and it's and to me it's like it's not as straightforward as that middle-aged man who's jerking off in his wife's underwear and i understand the arguments about invading spaces or or boys like taking their like this the clothes that the sisters are are using actively and all that sort of thing but it's like it's it's adopted at this lens that that person sat back planned it and they're doing that with malicious intent whereas a lot of it is done out of the lack of complete huge amount of confusion there's a lot of stuff that needs to be unpacked and discussed because there's the reason people would get to that is very deep and complex and it could stem from childhood and i don't think it's as straightforward as just getting passively angry at the straw man situation about this guy who's taking his wife's niggers i think it's and okay, if we have, well, if we keep let's... having, hang on one second, if we keep having that dynamic, then these people who are AGP, AGP and need, and who want to be a bit more accepted or maybe they want to talk about it more, we need to sort of stand back because this entrenchment is just driving everything 
away. But I do hear you and I do appreciate your, your honesty. Well, let me extend an olive branch then. I used that as a specific example to sort of showcase why some women are so angry because those cases do exist. There are people out there, like, as, as you both know, who openly admit that that was their case. But let's take the most sympathetic case that we can. We have a, a young man who ha, say he was young, he didn't have any friends, maybe he's on the spectrum, maybe he's got other reasons why he became lost on the internet, so he didn't learn how to go out and make friends. So he's, be, he's been raised by the internet, and through being on the internet, he's been exposed to everything that we're all exposed to on the internet, yeah. and he's fell into whatever sissy porn, whatever it is, you know, and through that, and maybe a bunch of other things, maybe there's some traumatic experiences in his life, maybe there's so many complicated issues where it's not his fault, he's done nothing wrong, it's just circumstantial that this is where he's got, and it turns out that he will grow into an AGP. I am admittedly a lot more sympathetic to that case, and I probably shouldn't be, I think it, you know, if it comes to conditions, you should be able to sympathise with people in all, in all cases, but in instances like that, it still boils down to men sexualizing or becoming aroused at the thought of themselves as women, as a woman who transitioned for the complete opposite reason of that, I have a problem with that. That doesn't mean that I don't speak to autogynophiles. I do. I speak to Debbie Hayton. I speak to a lot of trans women who would identify themselves as autogynophiles. Happy to speak to them. Happy to hear them out. Cannot sympathise with their situation. I just can't. Yeah. yeah, because you're a woman. Yes. Am I? I don't know. <laughs> Wait, do you identify as a woman? <laughs> 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 and, I th and I mean, not that women and men can't have sympathy for each other, but you don't understand because you come from the lens of obviously you've got that trauma aspect. You've got that personal stake of, you know, this is repulsive for that very personal reason. But as, e as equally as you can understand the young male who got sucked in online because they've got no friends, then surely you could understand the root way to how that 45-year-old man who's married with kids gets to where he is then. Why is it that the the empathy is void there, but not there? The only difference is 20-odd years. And no, if that the only difference is that the younger one doesn't have a wife and children to take into consideration. Right. If you have got a wife and children, that should take precedence over the fact that you're about to announce something to them that will completely change the dynamic. How could you be married to someone who thinks that they're in a heterosexual relationship with a man and say, I'm a woman now, I'm your wife, and the children now have two mothers? That's I know cool. that's not always the case. I know that some of them are far more reasonable than that, but that can happen, and that is disgusting. I would like to talk about that, um, but that's not what we're talking about before. What we're talking about before was somebody who is 45, married with kids, and may get a, a frill out of wearing the wife's stuff, which it, without permission or even doing that, I'm not on board with anyway for similar reasons. I don't think it's fine. Um, but the scenario of they are now their mother and you've got the trans widow scenario, that's different. That's not the same. Where again, we've got this contextual anger about this straw man, 45-year-old, who is now went from wanking in his, and I'm sorry for saying that, in his, in his wife's niggas to now he's came out and he's now aggressively saying he's the mother. Now, that is something 
totally different, but I'm more than happy to talk about trans widows and trans orphans who, and I see this in the community themselves. Wait, I've had trans term? Trans orphans, is that a new term that I haven't heard yet? Yeah, I've, I've seen that getting floated oh, around. Oh, okay. Quite I've often. heard yeah. trans widows. I've, ne- I've never heard yeah. trans orphans before. I like okay. I like trans orphans. It makes sense because you've lost your dad or you lost your... Well, it's mostly uh, yeah, dads. No, I suppose, yeah. It is mostly dads. Um, so with the, the sort of the trans widow scenario, it's this... They normally come about when the husband comes out, demands acceptance, doesn't ask or doesn't talk, demands, and they demand it in a very male-domineering way, which is extremely abusive and there's a reason why we've got trans widows and not trans widowers you know you don't see a trans widowers group do you it's because this sexed behavior and it is a sexed behavior is part down to this sort of dominance of i'm the man in the relationship ironically i need to prove you know i need to stand firm and you will accept me otherwise you're a bigot i've had trans women in trans groups say uh, stuff like, you know, oh, I never knew my wife was a lesbian. And it was like, oh, God, you've just changed. You've just changed her sexuality for your obvious fantasy. And it's like, I'm with you on certain points, Shanine, 100%. But I just don't think it's as straightforward as opening the book and being angry at that situation. We'll have to look at it deeper. I would have to oh, add I, that... Like, uh, Benjamin, I'll let you finish in a second. I just want to respond to that. I completely agree. Like um, When I was bringing up those examples and things like that, I know that's not the only case. We're just sitting here having a chat and stuff like that. Again, I know like not all organophiles work like that. Not all of them even transition. Not all of them are abusive. Some of them are far more, you know, take your time. If you no one longer want to be together because you don't want to be married to a AGP, that's perfectly fine. I know it's a lot more complicated than that. The reason why I use the extreme cases is because those are the voices that are trying to speak out and are being told to shut the fuck up because it never happens. But you know what? Sometimes it does. And I think... I know for a fact it does. Yeah. I know know, know the people who have done it. I know who it's happened to. I know for a fact it happens, 100%. And I wish I could tell you all those stories. I really do. About, like, the the trans widowers, though, like, I've seen the lesbian equivalent where it's not like a straight man and a straight woman where the woman comes out, but it is a lesbian couple where one of the lesbians, or even both of them, come out. But that was, I've never actually thought about it. It's really interesting you brought that up. I, I don't think I've ever come across a couple where it was a heterosexual straight couple where the woman came out. I don't think I've seen that. No, Why? Why, why, why haven't you seen them? Hmm. It's almost as if there's like sex differences. Like, <laughs> no, there's no. not, Richie. Behave yourself. <laughs> the only <laughs> instance that I could imagine would be uh, if you're a 14 or 15 year old boy and girlfriend couple and the girl says she's trans. I think that, that would probably be the case. But I don't think a woman who gets married, I just don't think that that's part of the trajectory. It's not the same when you're late 40s, early 50s and you've got kids who are nearly adults and 
there's, there's one account called... on Twitter who is, she's a she's an activist, you know, but she she's an activist mom with like you know all like all her kids are transing. The, the, uh, just an account. She's kind of annoying, so I try to uh, avoid her <laughs> because I try not to interact with annoying content. But she came out as non-binary. I don't know if like that means that her husband, uh, you know, and hers relationship changed at all. But the whole non-binary thing—it's more of like she's just being a Karen with the LGBTQ plus thing. It yeah. seems like that, which is a different situation. And I did want to add earlier that um, I, I can sympathize with Sinead's uh, very, uh, well, what you expressed or the attitude they expressed about being very unsympathetic or not allowing sympathy for certain groups. Even if it is a straw man, that sympathy is being weaponized to control the conversation. Women's sympathy is, is driving this. Uh, you can see that in the changes of language around very female-specific uh, you know, activities like birth giving and, and uh, wet nursing or uh, breastfeeding. All the language is being changed because women are very sympathetic to this like very small exception. That you know, But it's only women's language that is being changed. We're the ones that are being called menstruators and birthing bodies and all this bullshit. When are you two going to be described as inseminators? Well, because... I, I don't. Oh, it's not possible for me anymore. So. Sorry, Richie. When are you going to be called an XY person? You know. <laughs> well, but but if you look at where that language is propagating, it's mostly women-controlled groups that are doing that. It's it's midwife groups that are doing that. It's uh, you know it's it's the medical industry being sympathetic. So that sympathy is being is being used to c control and, and reshape the language. So I can see that it would be even more difficult seeing sympathy being weaponized to have sympathy in this nuanced kind of way when we're talking about That is like the worst part is like for a lot of these trans kids, that's not a thing, by the way, I, I mean air quotes, trans kids. It's not the fathers, it's the mothers. And I've thought about this for a very long, I know it's some fathers, um, but you know what I mean? Like for a lot of these cases, when they come out, like Jazz Jennings is the big famous one, but like the, the youngest trans kid in the UK is called Stormy. Um, I think they were like barely two years old when their parents decided that they were a trans child, you know, and you've got all these ridiculous cases of kids as young as three being trans by their parents. And nine times out of 10, whenever I open that fucking article, it's the mum. The mum is doing it. And that really, what was that case? It was big in Canada. And it was the dad who was trying to, I think, you, you'll know more about this than Benjamin. I think it was trying to save his son and the mother was trying to trans the kid into a little trans girl. Like, I remember talking about this back in 2015 and I was reading these books where it was mothers transing their little boys. That was the specific one. Sometimes it's mothers, sometimes it's fathers, sometimes it's little girls, sometimes it's little boys. But the most common one that I've seen by a long shot is mothers transing their sons. And I still don't know why. I, yeah, I, I think that there's something, uh, sorry to go here, I think there's something archetypal about that because it's kind of a trope. Like there's one horror movie, I think it's called Sleepaway Camp or something like that. And it's like this horror story. It turns out that the, it, the, the murderer was actually a, a boy the whole time, but she was just dressing like a girl. And the last shot is like her with a decapitated head and zooms back and you see the penis, you know, but because <laughs> her, her mother had uh, transed her, yeah, kind of thing. 
But that, that's an interesting thing. On uh, They're called munchies. Like that's one kind of derogatory term, Munchausen by proxy. By proxy. Um, well, yes, absolutely. Kind of like there's some I... sort of trope. It might be homophobia in a way because the, the mother sees that it's a feminine boy and she's like, okay, well, I have to – I can't accept that or at least gives an opportunity for the mother to – take control of that relationship there's a lot there can i get my completely like unsubstantiated opinion i think that in the cases of mothers transing their sons it's munchausen by proxy and i think in the case of fathers transing their children particularly their sons it's homophobia i think that would be the distinct difference between the two obviously not in all cases i'm speaking in, in broad terms but that's how i see it you should call this episode hashtag not all. I know, like, do you not like get so fucking sick of that whenever you have a conversation, but you always know someone is going to be like, but why about that? And it's like, broadly speaking, broadly speaking, we only have so much time to talk. <laughs> um, I think that's a very astute observation about the, the parents trans, and, but it's just like, what can garner the most attention for that parent? I think... Um, and, you know, having these parents would have been happy to parade their gay kids around in early 2000s, possibly. Um, was that a phenomena? Was that something that... I don't know, was it? I might have just I made think one I up. read it, like, you, you see these posts every now and then back uh, back in the day. We're like, oh, my kid's gay, you know, and it would get, like, uh, boosted way up. because, And it was more about gay acceptance than necessarily the parents getting yeah. attention. But I think that, you know, there's kind of feedback loop there. But I think it, that period didn't last very long. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, you can get instant fame if you've got a trans kid now, you know, because it, it's incredibly rare to have a a kid that's got the dysphoria from such a young age. And uh, anything, any sentence that starts with, oh, my three, four-year-old is, is obviously telling us the trans should be like, well, hang on, you're telling everyone that. They're not telling everyone that, you know what I mean? And it's always this sort of, they kind of give the agency to toddlers in a way that toddler doesn't have an agency. Like they're telling everyone the trans and it's like, no, they're not. You are, you're doing this. Um, why they do it again, attention, a hundred percent. The, the Munchausen by proxy is what it's called. That like the munchy parents. Uh, these are the same parents who would have sent the kids to like a beauty pageant or something like that. Whatever attention oh, that, that they can garner on themselves. And tiaras bullshit that was big. Well, it's the next iteration of that, isn't it? Yeah, it's no, it's a worse. Yeah. yeah, it's the same same parents will be doing that. So, insofar as there's detransitioner waves, I think that they do follow along generational lines, and what we're in right now is probably in the beginning of a of a swell. And I think in ten years we're going to have the child transitioner detransition, which is going to be something a little bit different than than the elective teen. I think you are being um, way too pessimistic about that time scale. I think that time yeah, scale is going to be. It will be sooner than that. It will be quick and it will be hard and it will be fast and it will be as rapid as rapid onset gender dysphoria. You know, it will be so quick. And I'm already seeing loads of people who are coming out as D-trans and making videos. Some of them, like, you know, you you have to take with a grain of salt maybe and just think, mm, what else is going on here or is there another motive? But 
it is becoming popular, extremely mainstream. And kids love to rebel. Young people love to rebel. And if the everything is LGBTQ, what's the main rebellion? The main rebellion would be detransitioning. And that will hit very soon and hard. And then what will become extremely, again, for the munchy parents is rather than having a trans kid, having a detrans kid. Oh, my kid got sucked up into this. This poor kid. Oh, I got... I got told by this therapist, this was the best thing. I'm actually the victim now. And it's all about this new victimology. You know, what's, who's the next tier of victim? Who's the next, like, unusual thing? That's one level with the social discourse on a cynical level, but it's still very, very true. The question that I have is, what can we be doing right now? Or, I'm sorry, what can be done right now to um, prepare the way uh, for these different waves of detransitioners? I'm just I'm worried about the suicide rate specifically in detrans males. I think that that's going to be. Uh, I don't think that. I think men it'll have go, a. They can go gonna, through things. And, it'll get worse before it gets better, Ben. And they're going to need resources in order to um, not uh, go down that path. I and think like, the important thing is, um, I am guilty of this, and I'll admit that. And, and describing myself as a detrans woman. I, I originally done that for simplicity. That was my quick way of saying, I am a woman who went through a medical transition and then regretted it and then detransitioned it. It's just easier to say detrans woman. But I'm not a detrans woman. I'm a woman. And that's it. And I don't want detrans woman to become the new trans woman. It shouldn't be a cool moniker to adopt. It shouldn't be something you want to be. And so, like, what happened with trans... Because it wasn't always like that. You you talk to the old school trans people like Buck and stuff like that. And I know he's, he's controversial amongst feminists because he was in porn and all that. But like you speak to people like that back in the day, the old transsexuals, they didn't deny biological reality. They were in our camp and they still are. And this new sweeping, whatever the fuck you want to call it, this ridiculous biological denying, homophobic, sexist, regressive bullshit like, we want nothing to do with it. And the last thing that I want is for that to happen to detransition. Being detrans isn't an identity. It isn't cool. It isn't something you should want to be. I, I, I don't think people should describe themselves as detrans. And again, that's why I said I understand the hypocrisy because I have done that for a long time. The more I've really thought about it, um, I don't think we should describe ourselves, describe ourselves as detrans unless we're in very particular circumstances where we're trying to find one another to talk about certain issues. But other than that, I'm not a D-trans woman, I'm a woman. Richie isn't a D-trans man, he's a man. And we should be able to talk about the issues that we have because of the sex incongruence that we once suffered from. Detransition isn't an identity, it's a process. Yeah. And so is transition. And I don't think that we should be identifying as D-trans people we should be identifying as men and women who unfortunately went through transition and then had to go through detransition. Don't make it trendy. The worst thing that happened to transition was it became trendy and that is going to ruin thousands of lives. It already fucking has. It's going to keep doing it. Don't make detrans the next trans. Now, uh, I think you need to get the message out there and uh, agree we don't want to create another monolith. We don't want to create another identity. 
Um, and that's certainly not what we're doing. We are creating a stepping stone back into society. Yeah. And I think right now, you're right, Shanid, we do need to identify one another with the D-Trans label, which is why you have the D-Trans Discord, the D-Trans yeah, yeah. and that. And it's like, that's the space <laughs> where you can talk about this shit. But you're right. You're a woman. I'm a man. Um, Boyce is the man. And um, I... You know, Sinead, to speak to that, I think that you were a G-trans woman when we first spoke, and now you're a woman. I think you've gone through the process of a detransition. And, like, I can uh, really see that on your face I, and in your eyes, you know. Um, Benjamin, I am, I've evolved a lot since the first time we spoke. And, like, you, you've acknowledged that, you know, when you DM'd me and you were like, you seem different now. And I was like, I am. <laughs> and I think it's because... Um, when we first spoke back in 2020, I was very early in my detransition. And I don't regret the conversation we had at all. I actually find it very cathartic. You were the first person outside my family and friends that I spoke to. Um, so that I, I, I really like that conversation. But looking back, I probably shouldn't have had it. I don't regret anything that I said to you. But I was very early in detransition and I was in a state where I shouldn't have been in the spotlight. I should have been in therapy uh, and I wasn't. And I've spent the last couple of years really thinking about all this. I've been through my own stuff. I've spoken to so, so many people like my views aren't completely different. I would say they're more nuanced. And if I had any advice for new detransitioners, it would be, don't speak within the first couple of months because your fucking head is mince, even if you you don't know that it is. And I've thought about it a lot more. And back when we first spoke, the idea of calling myself a D-trans woman was comforting because it was very easy to go from trans man to D-trans woman. Very easy. It was a lot more difficult to say, actually, Transition didn't change anything about you. Detransition didn't change anything about you. You're just a woman. You've been through some stuff, socially, legally, and medically. Your sex has never changed. You've had a lot of unaddressed issues. You're still a woman, and you should be able to speak about that. And to be able to get to this stage where I can openly talk about detrans issues, but say there is no such thing as like a trans person or a detrans person, there's males and there's females, and most of them live as men and women, some of them because they're struggling with this horrific condition called gender dysphoria, transition, and hopefully live their lives happily as trans people. But when we started being very kind and inclusive, that's when biological reality was shot out the window. That's why you've just had the head of trans inclusion at Stonewall during the Alison Bailey Tribunal say that acknowledging that you can only be male or female is transphobic. That was said under oath at the Alison Bailey Tribunal. The reason why we got here is because we used wishy-washy terms like trans man and trans woman. Like, they're good and informal social settings where can we, we can all understand one another but the reality must remain there's males and there's females that's it and some people have gender dysphoria most people don't and we need to really have a discussion right now about how we're going to handle that especially when it comes to things like sports prison rape crisis centers blah 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 you've both heard it all before but as much as we want to remain empathetic, sympathetic, humane, 
we really need to put a stop to this fantasy language because it's only well, going to get worse. Can I come in on that, Shanid? And I think you, can, you, can. you idealistically, I 100% agree with you. You're right. It shouldn't. We shouldn't move to a new identity, and we shouldn't want to promote this as like a great thing. But the reality is, people who have lived in an identity or an identity politics sort of scenario, you can't just pull them straight out of it. You need to give them the stepping stone, which is why we use terms like detrans. And I think for now. It, we need to treat it like a disposable identity that in a year or two, we're going to be like, we don't need this anymore. But this is the stepping stone. We definitely need to let people know it exists. Otherwise, it's just like the language barrier because it's set up to like the language control. If you speak to a trans person who's thinking about detransition and you say, well, I'm just a male, they'll be like, oh, so you've never transed. You've never been trans. And it'll be like that. There is an element of branding to it as well, where you need to to get people to realize what it means. Like I say D-trans and most people know what that means. It's getting mm-hmm. to the point where it's becoming more mm-hmm. of a mainstream a mainstream term, even though Stonewall haven't included it in their A to Z yet, um, which never hopefully will. they will. They they will. Mm. <laughs> but. I see the same, and I think it was uh, Helena that's spoken to me about this, but it has been another uh, D-trans woman, sorry just for the sake of convenience going to use that but also with non-binary term i can see it as a gateway in but also a gateway out so it's kind of useful for the people who are getting out of the gender ideology but it's a gateway it's definitely a gateway in once a specifically a young teenage girl starts doing the non-binary thing like it just kind of starts to accumulate like some sort of like coral it just kind of starts to grow from there but it also provides them a way out but there's yeah, no like, detrans into like, trans. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't say stop saying, for example, detrans women, because I guarantee you I'm going to say that in an hour on Twitter. Like, I'm not saying that we should stop saying that. It's more, it's the understanding that when I say detrans woman, I'm a detrans woman. I'm not saying detrans as my core identity. And you must affirm my detransition. I'm saying that I'm, it's the very quick word way of me saying I'm a woman who detransitioned because blah, 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 blah. Um, and like uh, Richie was just saying, like calling ourselves detrans makes it really easy for us to find one another so that we can help one another and stuff like that. I'm not saying abolish the word. I'm just saying, um, again, yeah. like Richie was very, very rightly just pointed out there. It's a stepping stone. It's one of those things where you understand that it's a process you're going to go through. The reason why I brought it up was because the first couple of years of my detransition, I didn't treat it like that. I literally, like, I was described and described myself as a detrans woman. And then I was alerted that that looks like that's an identity you have. And I was like, I don't identify. I'm a woman. I just happen to go through detransition. I put detrans there so people know that I detransitioned. And they were like, it sounds like trans. It sounds like an identity. I was like, no, I think the last thing that young, not even young, anyone, the last thing that anyone needs when they're trying to escape from an identity or frankly, and I am going to say it, cult like gender ideology, the last thing they need is moving into another one. And I do not want to see a D-trans cult. And if I ever, ever see the embers of it, I will do everything that I can to shoot it down because that is the worst 
fucking possible. Outcome. Well, I don't know how you would have a detrans cult. Uh, I can see that the, there could be grifting involved. Where like, okay, well, there's a story that I can take and I can get some attention by doing this thing. And actually, this. anyone can do that though. So, can I just come in on on this in a few points? First of all, for the, the detrans community on Reddit and Discord, that is extremely well managed to prevent that sort of, um, you know, it it doesn't create this hyperbole of <laughs> like we are now these super anti-transition bunch of individuals. It's not like that at all. In fact, I went in expecting it like that, thinking oh, part of me guilty pleasure was like, I've got a lot of anger. I really want to talk about, like, and just get some of it out. And then they instantly were like, this is not the place for that. You can get away with that. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe I need to reflect on this a little bit. And I did. But one point I want to pick up before that was extremely important was when people come out and they transition to think, I'll do a video or I'll I'll make this post about me, me sort of detransition and they find it very cathartic and they spill the guts out. And I think you're a hundred percent right. The need to the need to give themselves some sort of ban, at least for three or four months before they do that. So when I made my I made my Twitter account first in January, but I didn't make a post and I nearly did. And then I started watching all the like the D-trans stuff. And um, thank God, like, and I want to talk about this too, like women are a little bit ahead of the the men in this, like the oars ahead socially, which is why D-trans, people who have D-transitioned, sorry, uh, who are female. um, (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off, Ratchet. <laughs> 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 so, um, anyway, their average their average time was spent being trans is much shorter than males. And males are making the scene now because we're a little bit behind. But all this learning about you don't want to create a new identity, you don't want to create a new monolith, that was all that legwork has already been done because it happened already. It happened... Um, I'll not name the individual, but I know the backstory where this D-trans space got created and it was extremely radical. Um, and that really did sour the brand, and, shall we say, in uh, 2017, 2018 was the period where it was extremely radical. And because it was run by extremely radical people who wanted everyone to detransition, which isn't a message we're not saying all trans people must detransition. That's not what we're about. We're about detransitioners. We're about people who want to, people who didn't know that option existed. Um, I didn't know it existed. Um, And the one thing that made me confident right out after taking the time to do it was seeing your video, Shanid, because you had this, you had the, it was the ramblings of a D-trans woman video. I loved it. I really liked that video. And it was like, do you know what it did? It gave us that permission to be like, yeah, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about, do they? And it was just like, fuck these people. I know more than these. What the fuck? What? And I was like, fuck this. And I was like, going for it then. And, and then I, it was that permission. It was like, actually, you've got a right to be angry about it, but you don't have a right to be a prick about it. But you definitely do know what you're talking about and that's what that video did for me so i did actually want to start this conversation with that and it's just popped in my head but thank you very much for that video Shanid. it was <laughs> no, a great that's video. lovely that that's really lovely like um e- even if you hadn't said that i'm already very impressed with you because you, oh, bless you you 
have said a lot of things today that I think that in any other context, a lot of people would have been like, I'll just keep that to myself so as not to rock the boat. We need more detrans men's voices like you who will be like, actually, no, we are going to talk about the fact that there's X, Y, Z. And with the amount of abuse that some, again, you'd know more about this than me, but that some detrans men get. I've had messages from detrans men that they're like, um, I've done this, I've done that. I will never go public. And I'm like, don't go public, don't. And they're like, no, I want to, but I won't. Mm. And I'm like, well, if you want to, then do it. And they just, they just won't. So no. you are, whether you like it or not, um, are, are currently being a, a very big source of inspiration. Not, uh, not inspiration, I wouldn't say that. Comfort. A source of comfort for a lot of D-trans men who have been telling me for the past two and a half years that they want to speak out, but they can't. And what's the theme of why not? What's the general pattern of why they don't want to speak out even though they do? What's They'll the be reason? shot down because they're men. They'll be shot down because they're, they're men who went through a, a transition to appear as women. doesn't matter if they're gay, doesn't matter if they're straight, doesn't matter. What, it doesn't matter. There's too many people involved. I really don't want to use this term, but I will. In the gender critical movement, um, who just don't fucking like men. Um, and I hate to say that because although I don't wear the label gender critical myself, I suppose I technically am because I'm critical of gender stereotypes and all the rest of it. And I have many, many beloved friends who call themselves gender critical, but a lot of them, a lot of them have a problem with men. And that might be for completely understandable reasons, but it doesn't justify the treatment that D-trans men and trans women have had at all. I think uh, trauma can make people do very um, insensitive things because, and it, it was like Helena said it on Tim Pool, um, which I will say is an annoying, it was a little bit annoying that they didn't, that they, these guys just talked for an hour and I was like, come on, I want to hear Helena, for God's sake. Yeah, I watched and, uh, that as well and they were I talking know. about all this shit. I like <sighs> Tim Pool gen- generally, but yeah. That, yeah. I was like, just, you've got a friggin' Helena on, man, let her speak. Anyway, she said this, this really good point about how, and I never thought about it, about how, people attach their trauma to their identity. So when you question their identity, you're questioning their trauma. And I think that's a little bit with what's happening with the GCs, the, the really hardline GCs who are like totally like aggressive. It's like they've got their own trauma and their own identity. And then you say anything back to them, they're not actually criticising um, the, the, the belief, they're criticising you as an individual, so you react with vitriol. Um, and also... Um, the the stuff that is going on and and around about AG AGPs a conversation and the links to to pedophilia as well is making a lot of detrans or sorry or male males who want to detransition um, I'm trying not to say detrans man. Um, they, Leave it to the woman in the room to enforce the PC culture now. <laughs> we're all like trying to be politically necessary. <laughs> now we're just going around. Just... Trigger words. Trigger words. <laughs> kidding, 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 kidding. Yeah. The no, pet, I, I didn't. I haven't heard about the pedophilia like, thing. Um, did you guys see the recent story where it was 
It wasn't a trans woman. It was some fucking ugly, paedophilic asshole that was calling himself a trans woman, clearly, uh, to get out of being sent to a male prison. As you would, that's the problem with self-ID. We we all know that if a man rapes a child and gets sent to a male prison, he won't last. They don't tolerate beasts in prison. They just don't. So if you had the option, if you'd done that, to identify as female and go into a woman's prison, of course you would. Like that, this has nothing to do with trans women inmates or trans men inmates. It's everything to do with self ID being something that any horrible person can adopt and use for their own means. And that's like whenever we're talking about trans women in prisons, we're not talking about trans women in prisons. We're talking about men who are trying to get into women's prisons. Because they know exactly what will happen to them in men's so prisons. I will I will say at least in the UK the way it works for the prison system is even if you have a gender recognition certificate and you're fully passing uh, or whatever and you've done a crime that was say violence to, to against women they could put you in a man's jail still and they still do that these situations because it's handled by the jails and the prisons individually are oversights in those jails and prisons. It's actually this whole sort of, oh, you can just call yourself a woman and get sent to a women's jail. It's, it's a fabrication. It just doesn't happen. They might be saying that, and there will be cases where they do get transferred, they do get put in, and they do assault and rape women in women's prisons. That definitely has happened. And I've seen um, those cases of it happen, but we're also missing, again, another big bit of the puzzle which is the way the jails are managed especially in this country is that it's done on a case-by-case basis most people who say that don't end up in a women's jail but again it's this whole belief that you can just say that and you'll get put in and it's this whole whilst i don't want to create a new identity and, and a new monolithic trans i also don't want to be too quick to go into the, the whole point of let's go straight into the hyperbole let's go straight into in the states specifically in california there it doesn't seem like there's anything other than self-id no there was someone very recently in my country that was put into a prison and when he was put into that woman's prison he not only raped women while he was in there but he then decided to identify as a baby um and then of course you have the karen white that was over in ireland i'm not saying that it happens all the time, but there are absolutely... I I don't know about England. I don't know about elsewhere. Scotland has lost its fucking mind over the last couple of years, and we're seeing a lot of these cases coming out, which is why the, the quote, Scottish witches are losing their minds. Yeah, it definitely happens, and I'm not denying that at all. What, what would be the D-trans flag if, uh, if if you guys had to help? Fucking none. <laughs> we don't want a flag. Like, honestly, like, there's nothing to celebrate. What is detransition? Detransition is trying to come to terms with what you have just done to yourself, what was allowed to do to you, what the medical professionals who were supposed to take care of you allowed to happen to you, and you're currently trying to recover and get on with your life. I don't want a fucking flag. I want <laughs> my old body back. That's I, I not going to happen. So instead, I'll take some friends, some banter, and some beer. That's all I want. I don't want a flag. I don't want a parade. I don't want any special treatment. 
I just, I want some acknowledgement about what has happened, what has been done to people like me and Richie. That's all I want. I agree 100% Watson, but if we're taking a flag opportunity, it should be a white one. So we're like, I give up with all this bullshit. (laughs) No, if we're going to have a flag, it needs to have a picture of a skunk on it. So lizard is the, or chameleon is the the D-trans thing. The The chameleon was originally picked. I can't remember by who, but it was originally picked because when you cut off a chameleon's tail, it can grow back. And the whole idea was that when you've been cut, you can grow back. Um, nice thing I suppose but I, I don't totally agree with it because I, I personally didn't elect for any kind of reconstructive surgery so I'm growing shit back um, I, I don't think we should have a flag I don't even think trans people should have a flag I think that we'd, we're not even talking about trans people we're talking about people who suffer from a condition called gender dysphoria conditions don't have flags it doesn't have pride it's between a doctor and a patient and I think this whole celebration around trans everything is harming trans people the most. And the kids. I'm sorry if I'm being depressing, guys. Sometimes no. I'm just like, ugh. I'm, I'm like, do you know, I have all these conversations all the time about this stuff. And it's like, oh, yeah, like everyone can live how they're going to live and call themselves whatever they want to live. Who am I to tell you how how you can live your own life? But then it really does boil down to the reality of 2022, which is we have toddlers being affirmed as trans, even though they haven't even been diagnosed with gender dysphoria. That is what trans is. Trans is short for transition, which is supposed to be one of the potential pathways for an individual suffering from gender dysphoria, which is a horrific condition, which can include anything up to suicidal ideation. Why the fuck are we celebrating trans toddlers? That is disgraceful. We don't do that. We're going to celebrate anorexic kids next. Are we going to celebrate obese, uh, obese teens next? Well, the obesity thing is being celebrated, at least in America. That's an American thing because all you guys are fat as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) No, I've been to America a few times. Last time I was there, I was in Florida. I ordered a child's meal and they brought out enough for like two adults. Don't get me wrong, I ate it. It It's fucking delicious. (laughs) If I ate in America, I'd be fat as fuck. But like, (laughs) what are you guys doing? Like the portion sizes are ridiculous over there, man. And you you have to pay for medication, don't you? Like, so if you're obese and you develop diabetes because you're obese, you have to pay for that medication. That's that's nuts. That's nuts. Yeah, America is um, a little bit out of hand. And I keep telling people (laughs) we should should try again. (laughs) We should try again with America. Well, like, we'll come over on some boats and reinvade and pretend like we've just discovered you again. And we'll start again and see if we'll we can bring help. tea. We'll bring tea, yeah. Actual <laughs> tea, not just that. <laughs> no, we'll, oh, we'll, yes. We'll oh, my tea. God. Yes, it was good. I'm glad you clarified that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sinead, we'll definitely need your fire in this. And I know, like, the whole sort of, and I know you've been in it, like, crazily, in it in it for the last two years um and i respect that but we can't have and and i know you you deserve to just live your life and enjoy what you are doing and it's great to see 
but we need your fire and we need your conviction and we need your leadership as well for whatever this is um so whilst i'm all for living your life don't don't be a stranger too much please stay for a little while longer i mean that's that's such a lovely thing that's really nice but i will counter that with i've said my piece i'll I'll continue to be here i'll whenever something happens i'll be here to be a voice but i think actually you are the more important voice here i think detrans men need a voice they haven't had it for long enough but even then just even having people speaking out who haven't because like, i've been telling my story as you said for like over two years and you have the other big figures like kira bell and you know helena grace her stories have been told yours hasn't and i think with every new story that comes out that's going to give confidence to a lot more people so i think as, as lovely as that was, and I'm very grateful, and I will probably message you after this to try and arrange to come down to where you are to get a piss-up sorted. Um, yeah, if you're comfortable to keep speaking, I think you should. If not, don't. But understand that if you do speak out, you really will be helping a lot of people, especially D-trans men, and they really need it right now. Yeah, 100%. Thanks, Sinead. You guys, you are masters of this. We don't even have to end the conversation. You guys ended it. You can always wrap it up. So thank you both for joining me. This is an excellent uh, combination. It's always great to see you, Sinead. And thanks again, Tulip, for... Uh, when are you coming in Britain to get pissed, Benjamin? I know. All you guys do is get pissed. You know, I'll get over there, <laughs> and then I'll get just thousands of lectures about your geography, because every time I, I bring it up... Yeah, we're fine <laughs> the beer um every time i bring up britain I, I mess up the geography so i'll just go down there and i'll get like a tour of your lands Lands. <laughs> piss it up if, if that's what you guys say so yes uh, you guys want to say goodbye to the uh cameras bye and thank you for joining in conversation <laughs>